it showed that women that took estrogen replacement, bioidentical estrogen replacement for six years or longer into menopause had a 75% reduction of getting Alzheimer's or dementia. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking all about menopause and menopause hormone replacement therapy. This is an area that I think understandably many women are concerned about. Many women actually feel that they shouldn't be taking any form of hormone replacement therapy and prefer to go down the more natural route. What I'd like to do in today's episode really is to kind of unpack the data for you with my guest because I think a lot has happened since the Women's Health Initiative uh, data came out in 2003 and the early data did seem to show that menopause hormone therapy was not lowering heart disease risk, had increased the risk of stroke and blood clots, um, and that estrogen plus progestin therapy seemed to increase the risk of breast cancer. But there were many, many shortcomings with that early data. The trials themselves were on women in their 60s and 70s. Many of the women, in fact, had already suffered from some of the conditions such as heart disease, and the study actually used high doses of estrogen. And so since then, the data has has been reanalyzed and actually it seems that there is a window of opportunity in terms of initiating menopause hormone therapy under the age of 60 or within 10 years of the onset of menopause and that there may be significant benefits in terms of lowering mortality rate when compared to those who don't take any menopause hormone therapy and in fact it seems the data shows that if it started under the age of 60 then it may in fact lead to a 39% overall lower risk of death and it seems to have the potential to slow down things like atherosclerotic plaques um, when therapy is initiated soon after menopause and also potentially risk um, uh, reduce the risk of heart attacks and cardiac deaths and so we're going to be talking all about this today um Obviously, if you do have a risk of something like breast cancer, and in any case, you really want to be discussing this with your medical doctor, um, you should always be doing that. But we just want to unpack some of the data for you to really help you make a more informed choice. And my guest today is the lovely Karen Martel, who is a certified hormone specialist. She's also a transformational nutrition coach and women's weight loss expert. And she has an amazing podcast, The Other Side of Weight Loss as well. And Karen initially started struggling with her own health issues and that brought about her own revolution. And she wants to bring that knowledge to other and give um, women a bold new approach to women's health and also to managing their weight, which is a common thing that many, many women struggle with in those years leading up to menopause, in those perimenopausal years, and with things like insulin resistance and weight loss resistance. And so we're going to be talking all about that today and also unpacking the information and the data around hormone replacement therapy so that you can hopefully make a much more informed choice. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to the lovely Karen Martel. 
So I'm really, really excited and been looking forward to this episode today with Karen Martel, who is a certified hormone specialist. I get so many questions from listeners, members of my Facebook group, my Instagram community, all about hormones. And I haven't had someone yet specifically come on the show to really dive into hormone replacement therapy, the myths, the misinformation around it. But we're going to do that today. So Karen, first of all, a very warm welcome to the show. Well, thank you for that warm welcome. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. So I think let's first start off when people think about hormone replacement therapy. Obviously, it isn't a replacement for doing all of the lifestyle things that we talk about. But for them to first really understand, because there are three different types and people get confused and they think, should I be taking synthetic hormones? Should I be taking bioidentical and like seeing compounding pharmacy? Should I have body identical? Can you just explain, first of all, in a nutshell, what hormone replacement therapy is and what the different options are? Yeah. So hormone replacement therapy traditionally, of course, came from, not from bioidentical, <laughs> it came from pregnant horses urine go figure and this is what's very interesting and nobody knows this in the 1950s estrogen which was called premarin which is which is the horse's estrogen was the number one prescribed medication in north america wow. and it remained there for like 50 to 100 years or something like ridiculously. So it was the number one prescribed medication for a very, very long time. And then <laughs> they created, they decided, they, they thought it was an amazing thing. They, they used it with fake progesterone that was made in a lab. Synthetic progestin is what it's called. They would use the two together for women in menopause. And they thought it was just amazing. So they thought, ah, we want to prove how great this is. Let's do the biggest study. It was one of the largest studies ever done on HRT. And this is traditional hormone replacement therapy, which is still around today. This was back now in the late 1900s, like 1998 to 2002 is when it went. They were supposed to do it for 10 years. They had a few arms of the study. One arm of the study was the horse's estrogen with the progestin. There was another arm of the study where women had their uteruses taken out. So they were just on the Premarin, not on the progestin because they used progestin in order to counterbalance the growth in the uterus because estrogen is a growth hormone. It's what creates that lining and then we bleed it off. So without progestin or progesterone in there, then you don't have something to counterbalance that growth because progesterone will stop that growth and then you get your period. Without it, you can get uterine cancer because that growth goes out of control. So they had the arm of the study uh, and then they had one that of course had no, no nothing. In the first four years, they halted the one arm of the study that was the progestins with the Premarin because they saw a small increase in uterine cancer and breast cancer and strokes. So they freaked out. They yanked the study. They sent out word to the world and to every physician out there, take every woman off of HRT. It's killing them. <laughs> <laughs> panic, a bit dramatic, panic, right? A bit I mean, it dramatic. Did major panic. That's the thing. It did. Didn't and it? And I remember. Still to this day, 2022, 
You ask a woman if she wants to be on HRT or even if you say, do you want to take any hormone replacement, bioidentical, whatever, synthetic, she'll go, no, that causes breast cancer. Every woman out there right now thinks that hormone replacement is dangerous. So there has now been several reevaluations of this study done. What they found was the arm of the study that had the fake progestin in it was the one that had that increase of uterine cancer and strokes. The other arm of the study that was the Premarin only arm of the study had a 30% reduction of breast cancer. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. Everyone thinks it's going to cut. Every doctor thinks estrogen. I've had doctors on my podcast. I had a doctor on there who's a hormone doctor who said, never take estrogen. It'll give you breast cancer. Wow. So this is what doctors think out there. I get it all the time in my practice where women come to me and say, my, my doctor says, no, it'll give you breast cancer. So this is horses estrogen, which is nothing like our own, Mm, (laughs) right? Taking it orally. When you take it orally, it has to go through what's called the first hepatic path of the liver, and it can create inflammation of the heart. And you can actually, it does increase your risk of heart attack and stroke when you take estrogen orally. But even so these, this study showed that it helped reduce risk of breast cancer in women, but yet nobody heard that. Nobody's heard about that, that there was this reevaluation done. And you can all look it up. Several like very, you know, well-respected doctors that have reevaluated this. So many years later, we created bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Now, this is different. It's not coming from a horse now. This is coming from yams and soy, and it is made in a lab, and it is body identical. So it means that it is identical to the very makeup of our own progesterone and estrogen. So your body can't tell the difference what's coming in from outside or what you're producing on the inside. So same. Now, this is where we have a slight distinction here in England. So we have three. We have hormone replacement therapy, which is um, the synthetic hormone. And then we have bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, which is unregulated. So we have these guidelines, nice guidelines, and this is this is unregulated. You have to go to a compounding pharmacy. And then there is a third type, which doctors can prescribe on the National Health Service here, which is body identical hormones, which means they and body identical here means they are regulated. So yeah, there seems right. to be two types of bioidentical, right? There's ones that yeah. are regulated and ones that are unregulated. And the unregulated ones, you have to go and see a private prescriber, doctor, and they're done by a compounding pharmacy. So they can get a dose exactly to you. And it is much more expensive to have mm-hmm. than the body identical. Is that the same in Canada same and North America? Same in Canada. Yep. Okay. We don't call it that. It's either okay. you go for compounded or you go for pharmaceutical. Oh, okay. okay. Right from a pharma- pharmaceutical company. And those are an exact doses. You can't mess with them. So yes. the highest you can get is I think one milligram. Um, with the patch, the estrogen patch. And so it comes, is made by a pharmaceutical company. It's an exact level rather than the compounded, which you can t- tailor to your needs, which of course is better for most cases, especially as you age and get older and you need to really up the, the hormones, then the compound is better than 
the other one, but yes, more expensive. Our, our medical system will cover, like if you've got extended medical, like all of my hormones are covered because I have great extended medical. So it's free. But if I was doing compound, it would be hundreds of dollars. Yes. Yeah. But then you can actually dose, but then they're not been regulated because those doses haven't necessarily been specifically investigated or regulated. Yes. And there's a lot of like in the UK, New Zealand, Australia, there's a, there's like a, if you start to Google it, you'll actually get pages where they just diss compounding pharmacies. It's like, this is unregulated. This is so bad. This is, and it's like, no, it isn't. Like we are meant to have more than just one milligram of estrogen a day in our fertile years. We're all the way up to like 30, 40 milligrams in a day in certain times of the month. So, you know, it's when they say like, oh, it's unregulated. You're not going to get the exact amount. It's like, um, hello, our hormones are never the exact, exact amount. amount. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, it, it's a silly, it's silly. They shouldn't diss them. Compounding pharmacies are absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up because I think that's the first thing everyone listening of needs course, to understand, yeah. whether you're male or female, because actually it might be that you're listening and uh, on behalf of your partner. Um, so then, so, okay, so we now know what they are. Now what we're looking at is obviously like the things that I work on with my clients is you know, baseline inflammation when we hit perimenopause is increasing. Insulin sensitivity is reduced, yeah? Cortisol is going up, partly driven by the fact that often actually women just have really high stress in their life at that point. But also if they are highly stressed, they're not producing as much progesterone. And now if they're having anovulatory cycles, the adrenals are not kind of picking this up. So often, and I, I'm guessing you find this, Karen, with your clients, there's quite a lot of stuff that you need to do to support what they really want, which is better muscle mass, better weight loss, reduced hot flashes, better sleep and all the things. However, they can also have hormone replacement therapy. And from some of the literature I've read, it would suggest that actually, as you approach menopause, is a good time to be doing this because the benefits seem to be superior than you going through and just struggling and kind of white knuckling your way through this process. And then afterwards going, oh my God, I'm exhausted. Can I have some now? At which point a lot of doctors here turn around and go, nah, you're well over it. It's too late, <laughs> which yeah, is a horrible exactly. position for a woman to be in. Yeah, so let's back that up because you become more insulin resistant as you age because you start to lose your estrogen. Mm -hmm. Estrogen really helps us to become insulin sensitive. And then as you go farther into your forties, typically, and it can happen earlier, but typically it's when you're going through your forties that you start to lose estrogen, then estrogen helps us to make serotonin, which then helps us to make melatonin. So that whole process when the estrogen goes down, suddenly we're not getting as much melatonin anymore, which will affect your sleep. And here's something very interesting is cortisol, no, sorry, melatonin can block estrogen receptors. I think personally, this is because you think back to hunter gatherer days when the days were longer, it meant it was winter. So melatonin would be on more right? In the winter times when it was dark, we didn't want to get pregnant in the winter as a hunter gatherer, because yeah. likely the baby would die. We wouldn't have enough food around. So this was like this natural built-in mechanism where it was like melatonin when it was on more meant that estrogen levels would come down. And when estrogen levels come down, it also means that they, that progesterone will go down because 
estrogen makes progesterone receptors. Mm -hmm. So fast forward 2022 now, (laughs) what will happen to the body as we're aging and we're losing this estrogen, the body will start pouring on cortisol to block melatonin so that the estrogen receptors can be there because we're starting to lose estrogen. Your body's smart is going, ah, quick, get us some, we need more estrogen. This isn't good. Estrogen has over 800 functions in our body. There's receptors for it on every organ in our system. We need our estrogen. The body will also start gaining weight because you can make a type of estrogen out of fat cells called mm-hmm. estrone. So this is why women start to gain weight. So yes, we want to start these hormones when we start to lose them because all of these mechanisms start coming in. Women start gaining weight. They start hot flashing. Their libido goes out the door. They're not sleeping. The vagina starts to shut down because it's so estrogen so needed for vagina atrophy, like for the, for moisture and for, and if without it, it'll start to atrophy. So that your body goes, okay, start putting fat on this woman quick. We need some estrogen, right? Don't let her sleep. We need some estrogen receptors. So now you're a hot mess. You're 20 pounds overweight and your doctor's going, no, you still have your period. You can't have estrogen yet. Mm. Nope. You know, it's not, it's not good. So I believe we should be starting at an earlier age before we get to menopause. Now menopause is considered one year without a period. So If you're starting to get the symptoms, then get a practitioner that understands this so that you can start a little bit earlier. You do want to prepare your body for it. Like you said, you got to eat right. You got to take down that inflammation. You got to exercise for those hormones to be circulated throughout the body. And it's not a quick fix. Like some women really think, and it, sorry, it can be a quick fix. I've had women jump on hormones and like in one month, they lose 10 pounds. Not very often though. Mm -hmm. So in most cases, it's not a quick fix you're not going to like, it's not going to be this magic weight loss pill. And if you're under the age of 40, there's a lot that you can do to balance the hormones out without taking any hormones because your ovaries are still going for the most part, right? So you can take things that are going to help you to produce the progesterone, help you to produce estrogen and balance those two things out. But as you start to age and you're in your forties, and this happens at different times for different women, I I started to go through it at 42, which is really young. When you're in, in that phase, there's no amount of supplementation or diet that will bring back ovarian function. Mm -hmm. It is strictly a matter of your ovaries are headed out. The adrenal system starts to take over and you can't supplement your way out of that. Supplements are going to help your body through this process. So is being healthy in all, all forms. But as far as the hormones go, there's no replacing of the hormones unless you do it through either HRT or bioidentical HRT. So I just want to interrupt today's show to tell you about some supplements that I personally take that can really help women in perimenopause and help to target some of the problems that you've been hearing about, such as reduced insulin sensitivity, anxiety, weight gain, and decreased muscle mass. And those are certain supplements by my friends over at Bioptimizers. And the first is Cognibiotics, which is a probiotic that contains all of the strains you need to positively transform your brain and boost things like BDNF, help to boost 
low mood, reduce anxiety, reduce stress, and promote mood-boosting vitamins such as vitamin K and B12. They also have one of my favorite supplements, which is like zen in a bottle, and that is Magnesium Breakthrough, which contains all seven forms of magnesium to help you transform your stress and performance, enhance your sleep, and boost your immune system. And then finally, I take Blood Sugar Breakthrough, particularly on those days when I'm having higher carbohydrate intake. And Blood Sugar Breakthrough has been shown to increase blood sugar uptake into the muscles rather than the fat cells and improve exercise performance and muscle gain. It also contains propolis and antioxidants and herbs that help to neutralize oxidative damage from high blood glucose and promotes a balanced inflammatory response. And you can find all of those over at bioptimizers.com forward slash Angela. And if you enter the code Angela10, you can get a cool 10% off your order. That's www.bioptimizers.com forward slash Angela and enter code Angela10 at checkout for 10% off. Now let's get back to the show. So you need to actually, but as you say, it's something that you should see a little bit like a supplement. Is it supplementing the other things that you're doing is not a replacement. Now, what about, so like in the early t- stages of perimenopause, women often will experience heavy bleeding. They'll get some like um, skin issues that they weren't getting before. They're maybe not yet at the hot flashes and they may be having an ovulatory cycle. So their cycle's sort of shortening and then it's lengthening. And then over time, it happens that it's like, oh, I've skipped a period. But sometimes what I've seen is, you know, you'll see a woman and actually you address some of the underlying hormone issues and actually her cycle starts to regulate again. And then she's having regular ovulation and then she starts to skip periods. Now, would you say that it's at this point that you're beginning now to skip periods? You're like, "Mm, two, three months have gone by. I'm getting hot flashes. I haven't had a period. It's a frustrating time, isn't it? Because then the clock resets. So you go, oh, I must be near menopause, right? In one year, I'll have gone through. And then it's like, you might even get to eight, nine months. And you're like, ah, a period's shown up now. Let's just restart the whole clock again. It's so done. Like, no, I'm not postmenopausal. Um, the whole 12 been, months without a period is just a number somebody made up. Yes. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Because also I've seen women who go on extreme diets, like the ketogenic diet, yes. and ostensibly go into menopause and yep. then they stop it. They because because I think because when you sacrifice carbs, you're really elevating cortisol often. And then yep. the their cycle comes back, body calm down, it's like, oh, I'm a bit more fertile again. Where is the point for women listening? that you found has the most efficacy and what does the research say of when you should go in and actually start hormone replacement of any description? So most women don't know that at 35, 38 is when we start to go into perimenopause. And the first thing that typically happens is we lose our progesterone. Mm-hmm. So the, by the time you're in your forties, we'll have lost our about 75% of our progesterone because we're not ovulating anymore. You can't make progesterone unless you ovulate. So like Angela just said, your short, your cycles will suddenly get shorter, irregular, or you get a really heavy period because you don't have any of that progesterone in the second half of your cycle. Remember, it's the one that stops that growth. So if you don't have progesterone, you get this overgrowth of that lining, which then leads to really heavy periods. 
Estrogen, on the other hand, goes for a wild ride through your forties. Mm. <laughs> There'll be <laughs> some months where, oh, it is. It's crazy. There'll be months where you'll have lots of, lots of too much estrogen. And this is where the whole as true estrogen dominance that I see typically, like every woman out there thinks she's estrogen dominant. Do you find that Angela? Mm, like, I do cool? find yeah. Those, yeah, a lot. And actually sometimes what I see is actually they've sometimes they're describing it and actually their estrogen and progesterone looks okay, but they've got really, really low DHEA. They've got high cortisol. They're in a catabolic state. They've got low testosterone. And that's why they're struggling with motivation and getting out of bed and muscle mass and insulin sensitivity. So it isn't always, actually no. estrogen dominance yeah that's yeah. such a good point i've had i've listened to women i've heard one woman on a podcast like she went for eight years being diagnosed with like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome and it was and she tried estrogen progesterone finally somebody put her on testosterone and it was like the light bulb went on so yeah, those are the more androgenic adrenal hormones and they have a massive impact they are very like from person to person, it really varies. I've seen women that are in their sixties and seventies with really great testosterone levels. So some women will lose their testosterone and their DHEA and others, they don't. So it's like, you once you get, got a test, got a test mm-hmm. to find out, don't guess. Yeah, test, don't but guess. Every woman thinks she's estrogen dominance, dominant. I have an article, a blog post on my website that's about estrogen dominance. It's the most visited page in my entire website. And I've got hundreds yeah. and I'm like every woman thinks, and they're all taking dim and all these things to help clear out their estrogen. But what typically I've done probably a, over a thousand hormone tests. And for sure, I've seen women that are truly have way too much estrogen in their body. But in most cases, 80% of the time is that they have healthy levels of estrogen. They're xenoestrogen dominant which is different and they've they're losing their progesterone so they're dominant in comparison to that progesterone level so we just need to bump up progesterone mm. so when it comes to replacement i do have a lot of women in perimenopause start taking progesterone cream in the second half of their cycle or oral progesterone because it really, really helps to counteract that growth of estrogen, really helps with the PMS. Progesterone is very calming, mm. acts on the re- GABA receptors in the brain, so it will help you to sleep. It's um, very It can be quite difficult to persuade some doctors to prescribe just progesterone here. It can oh. take some work. They're like, oh, no, 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 you still need to have your estrogen. So that is always a bit of a, can be a bit of a battle. Um, I don't know what it's like. Well, in in Canada, but that can be for some women. It can be quite difficult. They're they're reluctant to just give progesterone. Um, but I agree, it is so calming, and that's really what they need, right? That's the yeah. Thing. Oh, I've had women text me and be like, "Could I honestly be feeling this the same? Like the first day I've used it?" I'm like, "Yeah, you can." And they're like, "Yeah, I feel so much calmer with my mm-hmm. progesterone. It also helps to raise your metabolism." So it can help with weight loss, can help with insulin sensitivity, can help with your gut, can help with your bone formation. I mean, a lot of doctors think, oh, if there's no uterus, no need for progesterone. No, hello. Progesterone actually helps us to make the myelin sheaths in our brain. It's super important. Mm. So I say start progesterone. Usually that comes first. Check your DHEA, check, check your testosterone levels and see what those are, because those can be, like I said, different from person to person. 
And then just start watching that estrogen. Start watching your follicular stimulating hormone because when that starts to go up, that's your brain trying really hard to get your ovaries to work. Yeah. And that's so like shouting. You can't it's hear shouting and shouting. It's louder and shouting louder. louder. Yeah. Yeah. And so for, it's interesting because some people will say, well, aren't we naturally, aren't we supposed to go through menopause? Like this is natural. It's life. Well, we didn't, we're living longer than we ever have. And wouldn't our FSH, the follicular stimulating hormones stop going up if we were supposed to go into menopause? So this is like trying for the rest of your life. It's going to try to stimulate your ovaries, even though they're dead, <laughs> they're gone. It's going to keep going. So all the research, when you start to really dig into bioidentical hormones and even HRT, even Premarin, there is benefits to it, to it. And it shows that women that replace their hormones for 10 years post-menopause, so let's say you've got your year under your belt, <laughs> 10 years, the research shows that women are better off to replace their hormones than not to replace their hormones. There was a new study that just came out of Arizona last year. This was awesome. It showed that women that took estrogen replacement, bioidentical estrogen replacement for six years or longer into menopause had a 75% reduction of getting Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm. That's, that's really mind blowing because that that's super interesting because the brain does go through this reorganization, doesn't it, around menopause? And the, the research shows that menopause itself can be a triggering event. Which, to be honest, for someone like myself who has APOE four, that is always a kind of you too, yeah. And this lack of sleep that people experience, they think, oh, it's okay, I can get by. Actually, no, that is really aggravating this risk we can't it's not causal but we know that people with alzheimer's definitely have problems sleeping as well that's the thing yeah um but when you say that 10 years because i guess a lot of women listening have a question in their mind over well i'm taking hormone replacement therapy how do i know when is the right time to come off because they know that they shouldn't be on this forever and actually my understanding is the research shows if you're getting into like late 60s 70 this is when there could be a risk of taking it can you just yeah. explain for that and also how do you come off it how do you transition off mm -hmm. that so just so everybody knows, you can stay on your hormone replacement for the rest of your life. I plan to, okay. especially because with no risks. No, with some risks. With some risks. Okay. But here's the thing: most of the long-term studies have all been done on Premarin. Okay. And so it shows that after that 10-year window, there's a very, very small increase in heart attack and stroke as past that. But that's with Premarin. Remember I said Premarin mm. taken orally is a whole different story because you're putting it through the first hepatic pass, which can cause uh, blood clots and stroke. So when you start to try and find information about bioidentical hormone replacement therapy long-term, there isn't a lot of information out there about long-term what it can mean. or can't do. So I think, and I know so many, I have women that start hormones past that 10 year window. Uh, my mom being one of them, my mom has, her dad died of Alzheimer's. She was starting to worry about her own brain. I'm also worried about, cause I have the APOE4 gene and she started to really get scared. She couldn't, she couldn't remember people's names. She was foggy in the brain. She was gaining weight in her midline. My mom's 66 and she's been in menopause since she was 42. 
because she had a hysterectomy. So this is long past that 10 year window. So I started her on a really low dose of estrogen and she would have been still on progesterone. She'd always loved her progesterone. She never stopped that. So I got her on estrogen three months later, she had lost half of her stomach weight and she could not believe how much better her memory was. She says, so much better. I can think clearer. My brain's not so foggy. I'm in a better mood. I feel good. This is amazing. And this was on a very small dose. This is like a one milligram a day dose. So when you look at it like that, it's like, well, why would we, you know, without estrogen, we'll develop osteoporosis. We'll develop heart disease. Heart disease and Alzheimer's are the top two killers of women right now. And Heart disease in women is not the same as heart disease in men. Men, you know, the heart disease man, they've got that great big hard belly out the front of them. Mm. It's from metabolic disease. Women, you don't see that. It's a different look to them. It's not driven by metabolic disease. It's driven by the loss of that woman's hormones. Mm. So we've got bone health. We've got serious brain health. I mean, everyone says there's no cure for Alzheimer's. Um, hello, estrogen 75%. That's absolutely unbelievable. So why would I want to take away my estrogen and let my brain atrophy sex drive? Everyone thinks it's testosterone. And yes, testosterone is the one that makes you want to go out there and get the sex, but estrogen is the one that wants to make you actually do the act of sex. And there's a, there's three estrogens. One of them is called estriol and it's mostly in the vagina tissue. And that's like I said earlier, if without that women's vaginas atrophy and mm. shut down, like literally they cannot have sex. I've had women just yes, right. I've heard, I've heard women say that and it's like sandpaper and yep. no lubricant like glass. It's gonna help, and it's yeah, awful. Yeah. Um, and doctors are like, well, you're, I've, I've had people, so many people say to me that the male doctor has turned around and said, well, you don't need to be having sex anymore. And it's like, no, 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 this is like, this That's is terrible. not fair. That is awful thing to say to a woman. Yeah. And I've had more than one person say that to me. That is so rude because it's terrible. How is it oh. different from a man, right? Men can go on to have children at any age. That is not the thing to say. Um, I mean, women are told to kind of suck it up and get through this. It's terrible. But why do you think, I mean, what some of the interesting things, isn't it, is although we are living longer, we do see that in some populations where they're healthier and they have a higher number of centenarians, they have less stress, they seem to transition through menopause a bit easier. It's a bit like the women that they just float through pregnancy that I never did. You know, the women that you look at and you're like, yeah, she I don't just, like those women. She floats along and it's <laughs> yeah. so lovely and oh, elegant. Yeah. And that, that was me with then my head down the toilet. How does that work? <laughs> Fat and barfy to the whole yeah. nine months. But they do seem in menopause, there are populations, right, who have yeah. an easier time. And I think that's why the lifestyle stuff alongside it is so important. I think people think there seems to be this perception I don't know about you, I'm trying to correct where people think, no, I'm either someone who takes hormones or I'm someone who's all natural and I'm all lifestyle. And it's no, actually the magic happens when you put these two things together. A hundred percent. I totally agree. And and it's sad that we as, you know, North Americans and Europeans were 
we're not going through menopause like we used to, and we're not going through menopause, like some places, some cultures out there. And there's so many factors in that we're super toxic. We're super stressed. I mean, are just even, not even if you're emotionally stressed, just the stress of our environment is like nothing we've ever had in history. So there's a lot coming down on us. And we've, we are lasting longer than ever before. So there's all these little factors that come in. And I always say like, great, if you want to try to go through menopause without hormone replacement and you're doing great and you're, all your markers are good, then awesome. But what are you, what's, what's going on behind the closed doors that maybe you don't know, maybe you're a person that you're not having hot flash, you're not gaining weight, but like we said, you become more insulin resistant. You become more leptin resistant. You, your cholesterol goes up. You can even get fatty liver disease. Uh, you had a, uh, one of your members ask a question about histamine intolerance. Yes. Why would that come back as she aged? Estrogen can drive histamine. And so when you lose your progesterone, progesterone counteracts the histamine. So when you lose progesterone, you can suddenly become histamine intolerant mm. so hard. i mean progesterone is really difficult restricts yes. so much what you can eat what you can do yeah. um however but why what's curious about that is when you've made that transition and now your estrogen because often i've seen that happen in menopause but the, the question from that member was why is it i've gone through i've had histamine intolerance i've now gone through menopause so estrogen is now really low and now suddenly there's this revival of histamine intolerance have you seen that happen mm, no i haven't yeah. seen that happen interesting i would you say can that it's likely at any age i was going to say she probably because she's prone to it she's had it in the past either stress or even the lack of both estrogen and progesterone really help um get rid of leaky gut and so without it our gut becomes affected. So it could be that it could be, she took antibiotics. She took, you know, the vaccine, mm -hmm. something that maybe would have harmed her gut bacteria so that the histamine intolerance came back. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, one thing that's interesting, what you mentioned there is I think we both, we were talking the other day, had people who have taken the vaccine and come out of menopause They've had a yes. period of women that are in their cycling years whose periods then just stop. I know you've like dived into this a little bit. It, it did, seems yeah. from what I've seen that the spike protein affects the ovaries, but doesn't seem to affect the testes. What, exactly. does, what isn't clear to me from what I've seen is, does that happen just with the vaccine or does that not happen with COVID as well? You don't tend to talk to hear about people who've had COVID who actually are now skipping periods or bringing periods on. Yeah, no, and I haven't either. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've, I've heard some people like uh, doctors and people say that it can't, COVID can affect your cycle, even, you know, natural COVID, but yet I haven't heard from anybody that that happened to them. I've only heard it from vaccinated individuals that suddenly I've lost my period and it hasn't come back or it went away for three months or whatever it might be, or a menopausal woman gets her period back. And, um, did you listen to the Joe Rogan? I have listened uh, to some of it. I haven't gone all the way through it. It's, a, yeah, it's like three hours. So he's the man that created the mRNA or was part of that creation. And so he said, there's never been a study done on it which is really sad. They're now, they've now given um, the John Hopkins Medical Center and a couple other institutions 
um, a million dollars to research this, to see what's going on. So he said there was no studies done on it, but there was a study done on something like that, that had a spike protein in it on rats. So I don't know if it was the M I can't remember exactly the details. If it was the actual MRNA or if it was something else, but it was, he said it was almost the exact same, but only done on rats. And they found that the spike protein settled in the ovaries and the kidneys, but not the testes of men more. The men were getting the heart inflammation. So, and he said, that's scary. He said that he's like, like, Oh, like that's come on. And, and the the society, the governments are like, it's fine. It'll come back. And same with the heart inflammation. Oh, don't worry. It won't last. But yet we don't know that. And he says that he's like, how do we know that? There's never been any long-term studies. We don't know if this heart inflammation is going to go away. We don't know if the infertility is going to go away. Most women, I think that I've spoken to, their periods did end up coming back. Um, but you have, you can find stories of women that still, they, they, they're still sterile from their vaccine. Really months on, they're not having any periods. Months, like yeah. one, nine months I heard, you know, but this is all hearsay, but. Yeah, a long time. Um, and in terms of um, from your own experience with um, with women and kind of the weight gain that they see, because I know this is an area that you, yes. you see a lot, right? Um, you found that obviously women, when they start taking hormone replacement therapy, sometimes they will have dramatic weight loss. Um, have you seen that if they then stop it, so they decide they actually only want like some women, despite what we've been saying here on this episode, they do feel that they only want to take it for a limited time. Have you seen any rebound in weight um, following uh, stopping of it? And I know that's really difficult right then, but more maybe in your own practice, you've seen that or maybe from studies, because I'm not sure it has been well studied and it's difficult because there's so many other factors at play, right? You could be eating quite differently you might and there's usually a life change by the time you get to that point women have gone into retirement they're living a different lifestyle they might be enjoying more food and wine they might be more sedentary there's so many factors yes i'm just curious if you've seen any correlation with coming off hormone replacement and then maybe weight regain i haven't but i also don't know of anybody that came off of it (laughs) (laughs) because everyone loves it so much yeah but i would think that because of how it happens, the weight gain typically starts to happen in perimenopause and then we'll keep going into menopause for about a year, sometimes two. And then it seems to plateau. And then you go back to that normal kind of, oh, you know, put maybe put a pound on a year because you're aging and your metabolic rate might be slowing down or you're like you said, sedentary, you're more sedentary, you're not eating as well, whatever it might be. So. I think that it would probably not, you probably wouldn't gain what you would have gained in perimenopause. If you have taken the hormones, you're well into menopause. Let's say you're five years into menopause, you've been taking the hormones and then you wean yourself off of those hormones and you feel good. Then no, I don't, you know, you might gain a couple pounds, but I don't think it would be as drastic as it would be in perimenopause mm. because in perimenopause things are just it's like everything's just going haywire on the yeah, inside so right much disruption and i also think a lot of women then actually they they've forgotten about the fact that strength training was ever important right they just yeah. lost sight of it and they didn't do it and i always think when people say but it's right it's boring it's 
it's like, do you know what? Some things are a little bit boring, put some music on, but if they really benefit your bone health, your metabolic health, and the way you look, right? When you put on your clothes, you feel better than actually just a few hours a week. It doesn't have to, I mean, even if you start using things like super slow strength training, you can get this done in a maximum of about 45 minutes a week. It's really not a massive deal to fit that in out of 168 hours. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. And if I had to choose one exercise for every period post-menopause woman, weightlifting 150%. Same here. You weightlifting and walking, I felt the best. right? Yes. But yeah, everybody yeah. goes for running and Pilates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, forget the running and Pilates, weightlifting yeah. and walking. <laughs> yeah. I always say running will probably just make you fat. In yes. <laughs> yeah. And It'll definitely give you more belly fat. Oh, yeah, it will. It's mm. stressful to the system. Our cortisol, our adrenal system, it's not the same when we're older. We're way more sensitive. We're nowhere near as resilient. So you have to be very careful about how you're trying to lose weight. And like you said, like so many women right now are going on the ketogenic diet. And I just see this completely destroy hormones. It's crazy. And I don't get me wrong. I was on the keto train. I still have a very, you know, lower carbed, program for my, for my ladies, but I cycle those carbs because we, as women, we've got to eat the carbs. You guys it's, it's don't listen to all the carnivore keto male (laughs) dominated world out there, because they'll tell you that our natural way to be is, is in ketosis, which I completely disagree with. It was our backup source of fuel when we were in tar- times of starvation. So when you first start out and you're, you're heavier, yeah, keto's like, like a miracle diet. It's, it's amazing. And women will lose all this weight. And then I see it time and time again, where it all starts to reverse. Go back. Yeah. And also genetically, there's a risk. You just don't know. If you haven't tested it, it's fine. I find that going really low carb or ketogenic for six to eight weeks, if you're metabolically inflexible, can help develop metabolic flexibility. But why would you want to pick one diet when you could have the gift, which is metabolic flexibility? Now you can have carbs and fats and you can transition easily and you can be like a kid again and actually enjoy food. Why would you not pick that? way more fun exactly same with like the carnivore it's like but but why why do you want to stay there i wouldn't want to eat meat for the rest of my life i think i would actually have quite bad acid i'm someone who does struggle a little bit with reflux the carnivore diet to me i mean i'm quite high protein but i think that would be difficult and also you think estrogen's going up and down so much you've got to detoxify that excess estrogen so if you're not having fiber and things like that that are helping with that phase three in the gut that would concern me as well you can see why they might be struggling with their hormones yeah and they're great tools i think current i put women on carnivore all the time if i'm if they're super insulin resistant or type 2 diabetic it's it works like a dream for that and just as a reset you know but as soon as possible same with the keto diet use it as a reset but then start putting back in carbs do some carb tolerance testing see how sensitive you are to certain foods create your perfect diet and that's so important right now in this world where we're being bombarded by this is the next best diet do this do that for sure primal based diets tend to work better for weight loss and for hormones and inflammation and gut health. But it's not to say that any of these other diets aren't good too. It's just, 
I see that those work better because they, it's easier to be in a caloric deficit when you're eating animal protein compared to a bunch of carbs. Right. Yes. So there are some mm. rules. And you feel know. more satiated. Yeah. It's harder yes. to break down. I mean, you crave what you eat, right? If you start the day with carbs, the likelihood is you're going to crave carbs all day. Just, okay. I think for anyone listening, know that that is going to happen. And yeah. sometimes I'll do that. <laughs> and I've seen it. And that's exactly what happens all day. Oh yeah. I'll panic <laughs> if I only have carbs for breakfast. Like if I, if I'm in a hurry, it just happened the other day. I was like, I had a, a client in five minutes. I'm like, I have nothing. I've got no leftovers. I have nothing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to just have a piece of gluten-free toast with peanut butter on it. And I'm like, oh, that's not enough protein. <laughs> because I knew I would then be like riding my blood sugar roller coaster for the rest yeah. of the day. And then and it's so, so yeah. true. But you look at the research, high carb, low fat diets have just as much weight loss as a ketogenic diet does. Mm. But that doesn't mean that that's easier to follow because it's no. not. No, and it doesn't mean it's necessarily better for your health. I remember having exactly. a conversation on, on the show with Lara Bryden, and yeah, she made oh, a very good her. point. I love Lara, right? She said, if you don't feel like protein at breakfast, you're probably not hungry. So ah. it's very easy to fancy carbs at breakfast. But if you're honest about it, if, you, if someone says to you, I could do you some eggs, I could do you some bacon, I could make you up a nice protein smoothie, I can give you some Greek yogurt, and you're like, nah, 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 I just want a croissant, an almond croissant, <laughs> or a chocolate croissant. Likelihood yeah. is you are actually that hungry, right? Because you're just craving something easy. Sugar, yeah. <laughs> craving exactly. sugar, exactly. Yeah. I just thought it was such a good point when she said that. <laughs> so it's like, just wait another hour and then you will be hungry enough to eat some protein at breakfast and maybe have some like, you know, apple cider vinegar or lemon and water to optimize your digestion and get those pancreatic enzymes flow yes. um, and bile salts and stuff. Yeah. That's yes, just, absolutely. Bye. I think it's interesting. So any um, final tips? I think I'd love to get you back actually to talk about more natural therapies just to kind of round this oh, off. Yes. We don't have time today because I think that would be really good for people to understand some of the more natural compounds they can use. But any lasting advice that you have to leave somebody who's really struggling at the moment, what would be your top mm. tips? What should they do? They're struggling to sleep. They're struggling with hot flashes. They're putting on, they've got the menopot. What would you say? What, what, what should they do? I think test first, because it's not the sort of thing you want to be guess guessing with. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like the Dutch test because you're going to be able to see how your, how your body breaks down estrogen, which is really important because some women will start using bioidentical hormones and they can gain weight from it because their body's not able to break down that estrogen very well. Cause their gut isn't healthy. They're not healthy. So it's just getting recirculated. Don't That's count really on your point. Yes. yes. And the second point is please don't count on your doctor. Try the doctor route first, but please know that doctors are not trained in bioidentical hormones. They will typically put women in menopause that are having a lot of reactions to it on birth control pills. I really heavily disagree with that. And remember, let's go back to the whole WHI study, the Women's Health Initiative. It was in the Women's Health Initiative. What was I going to say about that? <laughs> 
<laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. He was talking about them being on the pill. Because I, yes, it was interesting when you. I, yeah, the, the, the pill raises cortisol. Um, when I was into yeah. like, looking at what happens to the plate, uh, the to your brain, if you read Dr. Sarah E. Hill's book, and I had her on the show, your brain on birth control. Yeah, that is enough to make any woman think twice. I think about birth control. Yeah, well, the, the main ingredient in birth control is most a lot of the time is progestins. And remember yes. when I was saying about the WHA study, it was the progestin arm of the study that increased your risk of breast cancer and uterine cancer. Mm. And yet women, no problem. I'll hop on birth control pill for 15 years and not question it. But you tell them try bioidentical hormones and they're like, oh, my God, it's going to be I'm going to get I'm going to die from it. Doctors aren't trained in bioidentical hormones. They have to go out and get extra training or specialize in it. Most of them don't. So work with somebody that understands it. Even if you can then go to your doctor, like when I work with clients, I tell them what I want them to do. They take that to their doctor. And in most mm, cases, doctors are like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, they do. <laughs> so, okay, sure. So then there's ways. And if not, then you have to find somebody that will. I mean, you guys in the UK have a great menopause clinic with Dr. Um, Newson, the mm -hmm. Newson Health Clinic. She's great. She does do a lot of, um, she's okay with birth control, which I disagree with. But besides that, you know, there, she's great with all, she's very into the whole menopause thing and it's very knowledgeable, but find somebody, find somebody that understands it. Don't suffer. Know that you don't have to suffer. And I think that that's big. Don't listen to your doctor. If you're not 100%, if you've got anxiety, depression suddenly because you're getting older, you don't have a libido, you're having those hot flashes and night sweats and can't sleep, know that they can all go away. All those symptoms can go away if it was from perimenopause and from losing your hormones. Mm -hmm. So don't settle for, for anything but feeling your best. These can be the best times of our life. And women don't, they fear it. They fear getting older. They don't want to look older. They don't want their body to start doing this. And then it starts to happen. And they, they're like, what do I do? And it's like, there's so much you can do. So much you can do. So much you can do. So don't settle for less than yeah. feeling amazing and enjoying the wise women years, because mm -hmm. this is when you know yourself the most This is when we start to actually go, Oh, what do I want? And compared to what does my children want? What does my partner want? <laughs> what do I yeah, want from exactly. my job? It's the first time in your life that you can start to think about yourself. Yeah. As you say, many, for, I mean, there are women now that are having kids in their early forties. And so for them actually going through menopause, they've still got young children, but for a lot of women, actually they're teenagers, they're more independent. You're actually getting your life back and you can focus on you. And I agree with you. Don't listen. If your doctor pushes you back, if they push you back on anything, go and get another doctor because I have that so many times with a range of different things, right? Where they say, I oh, know my doctor said I was fine, but I don't feel fine. Well, of course you don't feel fine because you're not fine, right? You know best. It's a bit like when you had a baby, you mum knew best, right? You are your best kind of health coach, if you like. So you need to understand how you feel and then find somebody who's going to listen to you and take it on board. I think that's so important because it's not yeah. fair. You can yeah. be made to feel quite stupid for so oh, many people. Doctors all the time, yeah. they'll say, oh, your labs, are, your labs are fine. You're exactly where you should be because you have no estrogen and progesterone because you're in menopause. And they're like, oh, that's, that's perfect. You're good. <laughs> but I don't feel good. <laughs> but I don't sleep. I'm losing 
my mind. I'm arguing with my partner. I never want to have sex anymore. I feel yes. old. I've put up weight. I can't eat any sugar. What is wrong with me? You're fine. And just men don't go through any of this. And if they did, I mean, they can lose their testosterone, but they don't go through any of the stuff that we do with doctors. Doctors will hand out testosterone to a man like it's candy. Oh, here you go. No problem. Women, it's a whole different story. And it's really, that's very sad and terrible oh and needs to change. Because if it was a man's balls that were dry, dry, drying up and their penis started to shrink and hurt like it was, they were, you know, having sex with glass. Do we not think that they would maybe do something about this? And that every probably. doctor would understand bioidentical hormone therapy? Yes. But yes. Because I do think so. It doesn't happen. Yeah, I agree. It has to change. So the message is find somebody who will listen. Karen's absolutely right. And, uh, and get some help. And there's plenty of help. And so, Karen, where can people find more about you? You have an awesome podcast that I had the pleasure of being on last week. Yes. Um, you have an amazing blog. Please link. Where can people come and find you and contact you? KarenMartel.com, Karen Martel Hormones on all the social media platforms. And my podcast is The Other Side of Weight Loss. We've got about 200 episodes and a ton about hormones, of course, on that podcast as well. Amazing. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been such a fun chat. I really appreciate yes. your time. Thanks, Angela. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As always, the show notes will be over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com forward slash podcast, and you can download the transcript there together with the show notes and all of the other resources that I have on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.